standards are, are fundamental there. Uh, it's not it's not going to solve all the world's problems related to, to patient safety, but it's helping kind of create that that fundamental platform for manufacturers, healthcare organizers, people to to work off of in order to build stronger and better systems. BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is for World Patient Safety Day. Hello, and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs, and the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. Now, over the past year or so, here on The Standard Show, we have celebrated or marked a number of different international days. World Standards Day, obviously. 14th of October, in case you were wondering. Get that marked on your calendar. But others too, like World Consumer Rights Day and World Bee Day. There was a nice buzz around that particular episode. Now, we are publishing this episode around the time of another World Day that you might not be that familiar with, and that is World Patient Safety Day. World Patient Safety Day is one of the World Health Organization's 11 Global Public Health Days. Established only in 2019, the idea behind this particular day is to increase public awareness and engagement and understanding of patient safety, and to work towards what it describes as global solidarity and action by World Health Organization member states to promote patient safety. And so to help explore some of the relationship between patient safety and standards, you'll hear two conversations. The first is with Susie Broadbent, National Investigator at the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch, or the HSIB, a relatively new organisation in the healthcare sector in the UK, in which she describes her role and that of the HSIB to discover not the who done it, but the why done it, in terms of problems that can lead to issues of patient safety. And the second is with Lena Cordy Bancroft from BSI, who played us in at the top of the episode. And in my conversation with Lena, she describes the relationship between HSIB, BSI and standards and about how standards provide solutions for some of the patient safety issues that the HSIB investigates and reports on. Lena also describes her standards journey, which it turns out is a transatlantic romance. Now, although this is a Matthew without Cindy episode, here is Cindy with a quick reminder. This is Cindy Parakil with a quick reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. A psychologist by background, Susie Broadbent is a chartered ergonomist and human factor specialist and one of 15 national investigators of the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch. Formed in 2017, the role of the HSIB is to improve patient safety through independent investigations into NHS-funded care across England. It's funded by the Department of Health and Social Care and currently hosted by NHS England. Their investigations focus on systems and processes in healthcare, identifying the factors that could have led or could potentially lead to patient harm. It does this without looking to attribute blame or liability, but instead to promote learning across the NHS. 
I started by asking Susie about where the organisation fits into the healthcare system. So where it fits is is this idea of learning across the system as a whole. Um, So where we fit at the moment, we're hosted by NHSE. But um, in the future, the bill that's just gone through Parliament, we're going to become more of an arm's length body, reporting directly into the department. So we've got more regulatory powers so that we can get more involved in that. Instead of, you know, just making local recommendations, we can actually make them system wide. Um, So the idea is that it's not for blame we don't apportion blame we don't go you know looking for you know it's not like a, a, a I think often if people think of an investigation they think of you know that that the idea if you, especially if you think in terms of the police and things like that you're trying to find a who done it whereas we're very much looking at a why done it and you know what what learning can we have at a higher level across the system that might prevent not just one incident happening again but multiple incidents happening again so it's interesting. So in a sense, you're you're making no judgment about what actually happened. You're just investigating why and in order to prevent it yeah. happening again. Exactly. That's exactly what we do. And, you know, often, you know, if people get called to, you know, talk to us as part of an investigation, they might be quite wary. Um, but once they've spoken to us for a bit and, you know, we start to ask them about, you know, what circumstances were you working under? You know, what was the system like going on? What was, you know, your staffing levels like? You know, what was going on in the wider world? You know, and trying to understand all those influences that do influence us as humans. And, you know, we, we are fallible. That's in our very nature you know and we're starting to pull those things apart and often I think people forget to talk to the people at the sharp end of like what would make your life better what could have prevented this what could help you do your job easier and when you start to get into those conversations you know they're the best people to ask about the system they're the ones who are doing it day in day out they know you know we know what the policies say we know what the guidelines say but when you actually go in and speak to the people who are doing it on the ground you get that idea of you know work as actually done as opposed to what we term work as imagined (laughs) if you just went and look at all the guidelines and things so yeah it's understanding those pressures that people are under in the system we make them work within the organization the equipment they use all those kind of things that can have a bearing on how well you complete your task and in, in a sense who you're doing who's the client here who are doing doing this on behalf of we're doing this on behalf of the NHS and their health, um, on behalf of the Department of Health, essentially. Um, it's part of the patient safety agenda. It is just a, an impartial body almost who can come in and do these no blame style investigations, which I say are modelled on what, what other industries have done to really improve their safety culture, to be able to get under the bonnet of things that maybe people wouldn't admit or um, be able to challenge at local level. So prior then to you being created, you know, back in back in 2017, how was this work being undertaken? So um, it was predominantly being undertaken at a local level by local trusts. So um, lots of areas were learning almost the same the same issues over and over again and, you know, learning them independently when they each struck the issues. But I think there was a lot of a change in the understanding of patient safety. I mean, patient safety has obviously been an issue for a really long period of time, um, but it's it's not necessarily as noticeable as it is in things like air accidents. It's not, you know, a massive air crash that kills 500 people. It's kind of more insidious and more individual than that. Um, but as people started to see the benefits of reporting systems such as this in other industries, um, that decision was taken to, to 
to do one in health. And there had been previous bodies like the National Patient Safety Agency and things like that that had started some of this work, definitely. Now, it's funny that you talk there, obviously, we, we to the heart of the issue here, we're talking about patient safety. I just wonder, how does the HSIB, how do you approach the issue of patient safety? What, what's your approach? Our approach is uh, very much a human factors approach. It's all very much about what we can learn and change in the system. Very few people, luckily, in healthcare go in to make mistakes and injure people. They're all there to help people get better. Um, so we take that almost as our, you know, p- these people don't want to have patient safety issues. People want the patients to be fine. What can we do to help them? So it's very much that understanding and that, you know, no blame is really at the fore of it, but it's that just culture, you know, obviously, you know, that if there, if there are certain things that people have done wrong, that's not for us. That's for a different approach. For us, it's a get, get that learning and get it across the system. So in terms of human facts, I'm talking about, you know, the things that do make us fallible, the things that we know about humans from psychology and from you know other biology and other things we know what humans are good at and we know what we're bad at and how do we design that appropriately so we're trying to understand you know what conditions the individual the people involved in that incident were working under what equipment were they given to use you know what kind of things can we change that could have prevented that happening and learn across the system Obviously, hospitals play hospitals play an incredibly important role within the within the national health service and the, and the healthcare mm-hmm. ecosystem. I just wonder what's what's your relationship with hospitals? How does that work? Um, I've I've been in branch for about a year now, um, so I'm I'm not one of the longest standing members. But generally, the relationship is good and getting better. I mean, as I say, they can be wary first when you say you're launching an investigation. Um, but you know, as we went, not apportioning blame, we're not apportioning liability. We don't mention the trust. You know, that doesn't make it into the final reports. We, we always just you know use the reference event as example and don't identify them. So they're often you know quite keen on that. And so, some of the cases, as I say, themselves have come in from the trusts themselves going look we've done a local investigation on this we think this is an issue but can you come in and help us maybe raise the profile of it or have a look at what we've done and see if there's anything else we've missed kind of thing or you know what guys we think this is important enough for you to come in and to be able to address it nationally um so Generally, yeah, the hospitals are, I mean, obviously they're working under a massive amount of strain at the moment. So, you know, getting in there and getting to be able to interview staff, because we do like to go and see people face to face. Obviously, it really helps building up that relationship. But it has, it can be quite difficult to get into hospitals. Um, But generally, we, you know, once we explain what we're doing and why we're doing it, they are very supportive. You know, they'll get time for you to speak to the staff. You'll get time to go in and observe procedures or whatever that's relevant to you. They will provide you with the policies and things that they were working to. You know, they're often quite just as keen as we are to get to, not to the bottom of something but you know to understand why things happened and how how that improvement can be done and if we're just a you know even if we're just a pair of fresh eyes on it you know from an outstander's point from somebody from the outside's point of view looking in you know and starting to question these things then 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 they they, they've been they they are really helpful It, it is almost a change of culture i mean this this is one of the the um reasons probably that you know hc was set up after airing's accident investigation started and people started to understand you know how the system had been um a part of you know the, the actual accidents coming to a fore that that just culture that learning culture are very much changed within aviation and i think the hope is that 
healthcare will do that as well. Um, there's still a lot of uh, professional responsibility placed on the individual, and we're expecting more and more of our healthcare practitioners. Um, but you know, we have to understand that they are fallible. They are working in a system that you know maybe doesn't provide them with the best resources available and things like that. So this is you know where I think you know standards definitely come into. Um, approach. I mean, I, I've come from aviation, I've come from defence aviation, so military fast jets, where, you know, it is standardised, it is very much, you know, you design a button to look like this, and this button always means this, or this colour always means this, uh, because it is so safety critical that when people are under stress and under strain, you provide them with information presented in an easy to understand way. Um, so, th- So there's lots of stuff like that, that, you know, is not necessarily new to the system, but is is filtering in through, you know, the studies of human factors and safety science and things like that. Now, talking of standards, you mentioned uh, you mentioned standards and BSI. I just wonder, if, could you describe the relationship between uh, HSIB and BSI? It's a good relationship. It's useful. One of the things we try and do at HSIB, in fact, in fact, we do do a lot is we don't just send recommendations out into the system we discuss them with the stakeholders first there's no point us writing recommendations if they're not going to go anywhere or they could never be achieved so one of the things we like to do is build up that relationship with the stakeholders so that we can talk to the people beforehand who you know will be on the receiving under the recommendations to be able to go look this is what's happened this is what we're thinking we're interested in this particular area we'd like to be able to work with you to get this implemented within the system so that's very much where we've been talking to BSI and we've made recommendations to BSI in the past from a number of our reports Um, but that's not as I say just us shooting from the hip out into the system that's with close conversations with yourself and colleagues about you know how could we do this how can we influence this what's the best way to go and to approach this so so yeah it's good it's really great to be able to have those relationships and be up front at the start of one of our investigations and go starting to see an issue here is this something you could help us with so as I say it's not a surprise at the end that these recommendations are made and you know as, as an institution you're there ready to receive them so as you talk there about the relationship with BSI and a sort of being on hand to, to help with your work, I just wonder, you know, have you got examples of how, how you've worked with BSI to help improve patient safety through standards? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, one of the cases we did uh, a couple of years ago before my time, but um, nasogastric feeding tubes um, and how some of the elements around that and pH testing weren't particularly standardised. So we made recommendations into BSI for that. At the moment, we're in discussions with issues relating to packaging and labelling and how how to standardise that and how to make sure that, you know, when people are picking things up from the storeroom, they know they've got the right thing. Um, similar ones as well, looking at uh, standardization of icons and and um, examples on that. So on packaging or in wards, you know, th- th- there is a standard there. I think we realize healthcare as a system is quite unstandardized. You know, within the trusts, they will potentially all do it different ways. And when I go out and speak to people, you know, they will say, oh, we didn't call it this in my old trust, or we didn't cause, you know, we didn't have this particular brand in my old trust. 
So people are having to chop and change quite a lot um, because of the different things on the market, which I think is where the BSI, and that's generally what we come and talk to you guys about, is how, how do we standardize this? How do we know? So if you're moving from ward to ward or trust to trust, that the information you need is still there, that you can still use things and that it, it is standardized across a lot more. So it's a lot easier to generalize. You don't want people to have to learn new things every time they go somewhere, you know. And if 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 some of the information is in conflict, if it's red in one trust and green in another trust, you know, it, it's not consistent. And that's where BSI can really help us with get, getting those standards in place to try and at least standardize some elements of healthcare. So, Sid, you've talked about some of the sort of previous work that you've been involved with. I just wonder, sort of, what's uh, what's currently taking up your time, and also what you know, looking at future investigations down the line. Yeah, so um, it, it never ends. Obviously, there's loads of investigations that are coming up, and people can go and look on our website. We've 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 got um, on on the website we've published the reports that we've completed but also when we launch a new investigation after we've done the original you know three months investigation we're going to go to national then we start to put um information on our website that people can sign up um so there's a, a couple of new ones launched at the moment so a couple relating to patients with sickle cell disease so there's some uh cases on that um there's uh some other ones which are more mental health focused you know we do we do really cover a, a broad spectrum of things and i think that helps with our, our multidisciplinary team as it were there's there's people who've been in the system who understand you know what it is like to work in the NHS there's people who understand the psychology and the human factors and there's people who understand you know the basic engineering of a lot of these things as well so we, we can you know really pull all that together in all the different reports so yeah lots of stuff going on lots more reports to come and hopefully as I say a lot more of these national learning reports as well now we've got five years of reports you know that we can go back and look look at look over and we're starting to you know do more information and more more analysis of those to see those themes that are coming out time and time again so in terms of obviously we talked this we're producing this episode around world uh, patient safety day and you've talked about the issue of patient safety it's the heart of what you do but i suppose is there more to it than that i mean obviously there's the people involved in delivering the healthcare too well, exactly, exactly. And a lot of the focus is on patient safety, but I don't think you can get to a place of patient safety without necessarily considering the well-being of the staff involved in the system. You know, it's it's often a thankless task and, you know, it's, it's hard work. And, you know, we know the staffing levels aren't what they should be in the NHS and people are working long hours. And it's about understanding that and, you know, doing what we can to help the well-being of the staff. I spoke I spoke to a doctor a while ago and he said, I wish you could just follow me around the ward just to see what other things are going on that make my life, you know, a little bit more difficult. So he gave me an example of going to try and print something out because there's some, you know, some records are electronic, some are on paper. Um, and he was trying to print something out, but there was no paper in the printer so he went to a different ward and then the printer was an entirely different place and had a different entire setup um, and it's those kind of things that you go actually that is you know time wasted when you know we could have just designed around the user a lot better in the first place going Do you know what doctors are probably going from ward to ward wouldn't it be great if they were they were a bit more standardized or you know the information was a bit more standardized the layout was a bit more standardized all those kind of things that we could really start to do more proactively um you know, as opposed to just waiting for incidents to happen and then react and change things, could we start to look more proactively at how 
to help design things so that we consider the staff who have to work within that system as well as the patients. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now, I wanted to pick up on the issues mentioned by Susie that the HSIB identified as a result of their investigations, an approach that she beautifully described as attempting to discover the why done it rather than the who done it. So I did this with Lena Cordy Bancroft from BSI. I asked her about some of the standard solutions to the problems Susie posed, and in particular around the issues of packaging and labelling, and also the symbols or icons used to convey information about a patient or what treatment may or not be required for them, that critical bedside information. But of course, we started with standards journeys and her BSI role. And though, as she explains, she has only been with BSI for a relatively short time, this is just the latest stop on what has been a long-term and transatlantic love affair and relationship with standards. Coming up on my on my one-year anniversary, so it's gone by super fast, uh, but I am um, sector lead for medical devices, which means I am in the, the healthcare sector, uh, primarily focusing on you know, medical devices, in vitro diagnostic devices, um, and looking at ensuring that BSI are supporting these key healthcare topics and initiatives um, through development of standards and, and other related materials, and also looking at the evolution of, of the healthcare landscape um, to help prepare for what advancements are coming down in the future and ensuring that, that BSI is, is out there at the front and able to to address some of those, those address those topics and concerns to meet um, customer needs, but also in my role, I, I see myself as kind of a liaison between industry and and uh, BSI, and saying this is what uh, industry needs, this is what our customers need, and making sure that we then have you know bringing their voice to 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 BSI and making sure that we've got. Um, the standards and and and, and the, the conversations to to address those concerns, uh, while the you know, so so it's a two way relationship, um, and and I'm bringing what what BSI has to the customer and what customers need to BSI. Now I want to pick up on obviously we're we're talking about one of, one of those particular relationships as part of our of our conversation. Before we get there, um, on the podcast we love a standards journey, so I'm interested in yours. You know, mm-hmm. how and when did it start for you, and where are you now? Oh geez, so it started back in early 2000s. 2004, I think, is when I actually got into uh, medical device industry, uh, knowing absolutely nothing about medical devices. But I had a really strong quality, just quality uh, management, quality ethics, quality. You know, just that was a really strong part of the previous work I had done as project management. Anyway. As a part of a medical device company, I was invited to attend for represent the company at 
at some standards meetings at AMI, AAMI uh, Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, which is the the U.S. counterpart um, to BSI. And so I went to meetings and, and really had no idea what I was getting into, just kind of sat back and listened and felt more and more like, well, I don't agree with some of this or I have something to say, I have input, and I just couldn't help myself and started contributing. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was involved in a number of, of, of different committees. Uh, I uh, was heavily involved in uh, one standard in particular, which really kind of stood out for me. That was S, uh, Amy ST90, which is Quality Systems for Device Reprocessing. And it was taking all of my quality management system experience with um, the ISO, T, ISO um, TC210 um, document, ISO 13485, which is the medical device uh, quality system standard, and really taking that and, and, and helping develop it for device reprocessing. Um, at, during that same time, I was also became involved in, I also became involved in at the ISO level with the international standards representing um, being uh, representing the U.S. position um, at the international meetings. And I was, I've been primarily involved in, in two, two standards technical committees. One is ISO TC 210, which is uh, the quality management systems, um, symbols, labeling, uh, and so on. And then ISO TC 198, which has to do with sterilization of devices. And um, it, it's, you know, it's, everybody thinks, oh, standards work. That's incredibly boring. Can be pedantic, yes, extremely. Uh, we are all pedants in the in the medical in the standards world. But for me, it also became very personal. And, and whoever says that standards can't be romantic, they are completely wrong. Because through this journey of some 15 years in medical devices, I ended up uh, meeting my my current husband. So it was, <laughs> and he's very involved in standards as well. And we've been in a, a number of committees and meetings together. And uh, it brings a new level of of engagement to to our um, standards work, and I think other committee members quite enjoy our um, our discourse. Me being from the U.S., him being from the U.K., having different different um, <laughs> opinions and different uh, tactics that we need to commit commit uh, for the. Uh, for for the topics but now that i work with bsi i am more on the the uk side so it's 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 a really fun dynamic with our international friends and our standards community so that's my personal bit this is uh <laughs> this is a transatlantic relationship with standards how about that i've got to ask i mean over the dinner table or breakfast table how much conversation takes place around standards i've got to know that oh a lot. I would say 75%. And it's some of it's fun and just like, oh, did you know this is going on? And yeah, there are a lot of standards um, that, and I don't even want to go into some of the topics because there's a number of strange, uh, strange uh, topics, such as uh, there's a, a new standard being developed uh, related to sex toys and if they should be uh, considered medical devices. And yeah, I just avoid that conversation as much as possible. Well, now you've put it out there. I just wonder whether <laughs> that has to be a future episode. But well, maybe I'll park that idea. And I'll have a think about that one. Maybe we could come back to it. 
Yes, and he all, he tends to always bring this up in, in, in committee meetings and stuff, and I just sit there, roll my eyes, and everybody looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, okay, not good. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> now, earlier we, we earlier we heard on this episode uh, my conversation with Susie. We heard Susie's perspective about the relationship between her organization, HSIB, mm-hmm. and BSI. And earlier you mentioned about, as part of your role there, sort of developing relationships with stakeholders and, and with customers about the work that BSI does. But how would you describe from your perspective, what what is the relationship between BSI and HSIB? Yeah, so the this the organization HSIB and and the BSI relationship with it was is relatively new to me um because it although even though the relationship with BSI has been going on for, for quite a while um and I've been hearing about it but never really knew what what HSIB did um and strangely enough it, within span of one week I I I was approached from two different um committees at HSIB um, asking questions, they wanting you know they've got these investigations and they wanted to see how BSI could you know was there some way that BSI could contribute to their investigation or was there a way that the use of standards could help um, standardize a, a pro, you know create a standardized process for industry to help minimize um, some of these safety concerns or address the concerns of, of healthcare providers. And so I, you know, it was really interesting because I love part of my background with, with quality systems and standards is risk management and corrective and preventive actions. This whole corrective action process of, of trying to, you know, getting to the root cause analysis of what is an issue and what is, what caused this problem and then finding a way to to address it, keep it from happening again. And when the the HSIB teams came to me, I was like, "Wow, this! I get to use all my previous experience with this, and, and see how can BSI address this." So it was really exciting for me to be engaged in a with this investigation uh, to figure out how can we use standards to directly impact patient safety and prevent issues and concerns from healthcare providers or nurses or faculty or, or even med- medical device manufacturers and patients themselves um, with these with these issues. So Lena, I, I want to definitely want to dive into some of these practical examples of the relationship we have between uh, between HSIB and BSI. Before we do that, just just give us some insight or a sense of, you know, from the, the healthcare sector perspective. You know, BSI gets involved in lots of healthcare standardisation. So, uh, give us a sense of our, our relationships with stakeholders broadly in this space. Uh, we have yes, BSI has a well. We work very closely uh, with if MHRA. Uh, in the in the UK, uh, with the regulations um, and and making sure that that we have the appropriate standards to support the regulatory requirements and, and uh, regulations of of industry. Clarifications corner: the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, or the MHRA, regulates medicines, medical devices, and blood components for transfusion in the UK. It's an executive agency of the UK Government Department of Health and Social Care. And then from there, that also seeps into other jurisdictions as well. BSI being a notified body, we do need to have a very clear understanding of, of the directions that, that other uh, 
medical device regulators are going in, such as um, the European the European Commission, the EU, the FDA in the US, at TGA in Australia. So being aware of what's going on, but our direct immediate impact is is obviously with, with MHRA and making sure that we are addressing those regulatory needs here. Clarifications Corner. The role of a notified body is to conduct a conformity assessment under the relevant EU directives and regulations. So, for medical devices, conformity assessment means the process demonstrating whether the requirements of the regulation relating to a medical device have been fulfilled. That then seeps into work with um, the, the various other departments uh, within government related to healthcare, um, getting involved with NHS, making sure that, you know, that, that we're not, the standards that we create and develop are not in conflict with some of the practices that they're promoting within their within their organizations one big aspect of that is is um, sustainability and with all the the nhs initiatives for that uh, bsi we're making sure that we that we have the appropriate standards and supporting documents to to help nhs as a stakeholder um, complete their initiatives so, Lena, then, to sort of to the heart of this um, issue, really, we're looking in this episode about patient safety and looking at how uh, standards can improve patient safety. Um, in my conversation with Susie, she mentioned uh, HSIB getting involved in areas around packaging and labelling. So, could you tell us how, you know, how BSI's approached that and what, what and what's what's been involved so far? Yeah. So, uh, when Susie and her team they came to me regarding um, this specific issue, uh, it was really it's it, it's close to my heart uh, because with standards i am currently the convener of uh, iso tc 210 working group 3 which works on iso 15223 part 1 the standard for symbols uh, which are used on medical device labeling and and packaging so this issue happened to be uh, w- with a a device that uh a, a practitioner chose wasn't sure about what size they needed so had had taken had requested two to be pulled off the shelf two different sizes they came in the packaging looks identical there's there's no other than the name of of the of the device everything else was the same to be very consistent that's one thing that that we medical device manufacturers are, are good at you know having that consistency and we get the marketing aspects of it and you you have a brand that you want to to make sure it is out there and present on the products but what happened was it was the the difference between the two was so minor that it didn't get caught and so what happened? The wrong product was was pulled, not a different size, but a wrong product entirely. So the question was was posed to me: How can what can BSI do? What standards are there that can support this? And immediately I'm thinking ISO one five two two three part one because we work on what symbols can we put onto packaging to help um, ensure that the correct information is being provided that we're you know able to get as much information as possible without the use of 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 text of words because these labels are used uh globally and uh, we really want to minimize all the the translations that are taking place so we use symbols as a representation of the information 
And so I, I, you know, I looked at the the packaging that they sent and I'm like, absolutely. I can see exactly where this would happen because it is black and white. Um, we, we don't, the, the use of color on, on um, packaging, medical device packaging is, is not always supported because uh, colors in other jurisdictions can, can have different meanings. For example, if you use red, that may be a warning rather than uh, you know, signifying a specific um, use or a specific type of device. Uh, also, the, the use of um, making sure that when, when, you're, when a medical device manufacturer is creating their packaging and labeling, I said earlier, they want it to be consistent. They want to have this, this, this brand, this, this, this marketing piece so that it's very clear that it's from their company. But by doing that, they limit the, the, they're impeding on the human factor side of, of the user that's really looking for those key um, differences that, that stand out. And so we were talking about, is there a way that we can, you know, is there, are there different symbols that we could use for this, uh, you know, to, to make sure that stands out? I don't know that that's necessarily appropriate for this particular case because there are already other symbols uh, to indicate uh, size and, and, and differences in, in the, the product characteristics. But I, I mentioned the use of unique device identification, which is uh, a, a basically a barcode uh, that you scan uh, and it brings up specific information, which is all great if the if the healthcare facility has the technology and the means to scan that. So not a yes, it's a great suggestion and it and it would it could potentially help, but not. Uh, specific, you know, it, that's more of a global and, and not specific to this to this particular inc- incident. There's another standard that um, ISO TC 210 works on, and this is in working group two, and that's a new standard called ISO 20417. And it, this standard um, addresses information that needs to be provided on labeling and packaging. And so one of the proposals that we talked about was the possibility of, you know, including in there that a description should be one of those required uh, fields on a device package um, or labeling to actually put a descriptor of what it is. That seems pretty basic, like, yeah, that should be there. But when you look through the different requirements, uh, you have to have your product name, you have to have the product size, and a description isn't always included um, because they could be very long and lengthy or somebody could just think that it's not relevant and and doesn't have much value added. So we're looking at the possibility of of how can we use this kind of a descriptor and including that to make it stand out that this is what this is when and how this device should be used. Not so much from a from a, a safety perspective perspective but from a differentiator so a user can clearly see what uh, what the difference is uh, between various products so is the first with this particular need then for from hsib is the is the is the sort of the approach that we take um to look at where um existing standards might be revised in order to incorporate that particular need is that is that the general approach that we take and then if that can't be resolved if the issue the issue can't be resolved then to look to develop brand new standards Correct. So it's uh, ideally it would be to to use a standard that's already 
um, developed um, that's already in use because it's it's known and a lot of times uh, in the case of 15223 part one it's already a harmonized standard so uh, it's it can be used in the EU as a presumption of conformity um, looking at it yet it, it hopefully it will eventually it will be designated in in the UK clarifications corner post brexit New UK product regulation permits the UK government to designate standards for regulatory conformity purposes. This replaces the European Commission's citation of harmonised European standards in the official journal of the European Union. Where the UK government has designated a standard, its use confers on the product a legal advantage, usually a presumption of conformity with relevant aspects of the new UKCA product marking. Uh, but but the use of a of, of a existing standard it, it's an easier route to getting um, the the amendment or the change included into into the standard. Devel- sometimes though, a, a new standard is required uh, if it's a very specific need or it's a, a new idea uh, or it's a just it, there's enough content um, to address you. Know, to, to fill up a standard on just that one issue. We see this sometimes with, for example, um, the use of uh, the creation of a, of a standard for the use of phthalates or the to indicate that a device has phthalates in it um, from a safety perspective, you know, in, in a, an entire standard just just for that topic. Uh, but the life cycle of standards is long. It takes a while to can three, three, four years to get a, a standard you know, developed and, and approved and, and adopted it by, by um, a, a, a nation. So it's a long time um, to create that. So when possible, we try to revise um, uh, where po- as much as possible. So we've that particular example then around packaging and labelling. Where, where are we in our conversations with, with HSIB? Uh, we had after the conversation with HSIB, they have submitted a draft report, which I am responding to this week, in fact, and then they will they they submit their uh, their recommendations, and then it gets published it, it on their website and it gets sent to um, the various stakeholders, and and then it's up to the my understanding is then it's up to the stakeholders, the people that are mentioned in the the report to consider making these um, changes or recommendations. Um, They provide the investigation and the lead up as to why these changes are required. And then it's left to uh, stakeholders and industry to, to incorporate. Hi, this is Cindy Parakil, just popping up here to say, if you want to make a difference and shape and change the world to make it a better and fairer place, then why not become a standards maker with BSI? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. By defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy and society to do things better. We have hundreds of committees working on thousands of standards, from artificial intelligence to zinc-enriched crops and everything in between, including medical devices and other forms of healthcare technology. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds and career stages. Our goal is simple, to have a balance of views around the standards-making table. 
So, start your standards making journey now by visiting bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. So, Lena, another example that, that Susie talked about was around the use of icons and sort of ward information. So, can you tell us about that? How it, how is uh, what's been the the issue that HSIB has brought to us in, in, in to tackle? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is this is another really interesting one, and it and it comes it plays right into uh, one of my favorite topics, which you, uh, the symbols um, are icons uh, for uh, um, sharing information uh, related to a device, or in this case patient information. Uh, the case is, has to do with the identification of, of, of critical patient information while at the bedside or you know on the ward. In particular, um, a, a patient that has the do not uh, attempt cardiopulmonary resuscitation, so a DNA CPR designation. Uh, there's no clear indication currently uh, to identify who those patients are. It's in their chart, it's in their, their paperwork, but uh, you know, human error, right? You can get it mixed up. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Uh, one patient was identified as do not attempt um, CPR. Uh, the patient in the, the bed next to them uh, did not have that designation and the wires got crossed. And so the the uh, um, CPR was not attempted when it should have been. Fortunately, it was resolved rather quickly and there was the patient was fine, but the uh, it brought the you know the just the wow this is a this is an issue this could happen and it may not always end up in uh, with, with these kind of results. So what can be done to ensure that that uh, people you know the our healthcare practitioners people on the ward who are very busy have all these different uh, patient requirements and needs going on how can we make it easier for them to identify. And so there's been we 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 discussed this and you know the possibility of of developing a new symbol that would be that could be used on the the patient's healthcare record maybe on their wristband um, to identify when uh, CPR should not be attempted. It seems like a very very basic solution, but if you're not working on these kinds of problems every day, you know. You don't realize, well, yeah, that other people are not thinking about them. So you need to, it seems basic, but then we get into the whole, what kind of symbol do we need? How do we develop the symbol? Uh, and making sure that it has that same, the same meaning and, and level of understanding globally, not just within the English speaking. I was, I was about to say that, yes, because obviously we're developing, you mentioned lots of ISO standards, this international approach to these to these problems. Mm-hmm. I suppose that is the challenge, isn't it? Finding something that literally can be standardised and could be easily communicated and understood instantly because of the implications for patient, patient safety and well-being. That's absolutely it. And, and so we have to go through, when we develop uh, a symbol, we do go through a, a validation process. We, we send it out to to a, a wide demographic of, of people within healthcare. It could be uh, nurses, doctors, it could be you know people, depending on, on where that, that symbol is meant to be used, it could be within a sterile processing area. Uh, anyway, and, and among all different, uh, many different uh, languages as well. And make sure that these symbols can be readily identified. And we usually give an, a, a, a range. So we give maybe three or four different variations of a of a symbol, and then they rate them, and, and we decide which which version um, 
scores most highly uh, in, in conveying the message that we need that symbol to to give. And then we go through a series of, of testing, uh, another series of testing and uh, balloting with the different nations. But it's, you know, we don't think about this sometimes when the fact that that in the English language, the the our letters don't mean anything, for example, in, in the Arabic countries or when we're talking about uh, China or Japan. They've got a very different uh, system for for um, for spelling and their words and, and their and their letters. So we have to make sure that we're not um, using anything that could be that could be uh, in any way misleading or uh, insulting in, in, in fact, you know, or, or disrespectful to their culture. So uh, for, for example, uh, on some symbols, you'll see a, a plus sign like, a, like the red cross. Uh, but we have to be able to have the ability to, to modify that. Um, if, uh, if there's another symbol that, that should be preferred. So it doesn't, um, become too religious no no it's i was, I was fascinated that that sort of listened to you there about the the sort of cultural acceptance of a particular symbol or, or cultural appropri- uh, appropriateness of that particular symbol it's got to work everywhere and as you say convey that meaning instantly uh and in the, in the right way so that the, the the practitioner can act accordingly i just wonder you know where, where are we with this particular with this particular issue will this be a revision of a standard or a or a new standard where, where are we with it yeah, so this particular one, it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to bring it to the um, the the ISOTC 210 Working Group Three Committee to address to see if we can create a, a symbol to put into the existing standard, uh, because there are potential uses for it. You know, beyond just the patient, uh, the the bedside. Uh, we, there's a patient. I'm sorry, patient implant cards. Pick, which is a, a a new requirement out of the European medical device regulation, but we're also seeing it uh, in the the MHRA consultation um, for the UK regs that's coming in, um, and this is a, a card that um, if you have an implant, uh, the the doctor the surgeon will give it to you as a patient, then you know this is what was implanted in you, and there are different symbols that are used on that, and this could potentially be one of those symbols that that's included on this patient implant card um, that they carry with them. Um, so we'll be in the process of, uh, we've got some meetings coming up um, for the working group and we'll be talking about um, this as a potential proposal. Uh, but like we, like I said earlier, HSIB is, is, is an English, uh, an organization here in the UK and focus on, on, you know, uh, uh, addressing, um, patient safety issues within the NHS and so on. So any kind of a of a, a solution we come to come up with would have to be global. So it's a, a really uh, it's not something that we can take lightly and just assume. Oh yes, this is this will work. Uh, we do need to go through and and test and make sure that there's there's buy in and acceptance uh, globally for these kinds of solutions. Lena, they talked there about you, you've been describing. Actually, this is. Uh... Uh, the relationship with HSIB hasn't been that long because the organisation hasn't been ra- around for that long and, and investigating issues around public safety, looking for, uh, as Suja described, sort of generic uh, solutions that can be cl- uh, applied across the entire healthcare system. But I wonder, you know, um, 
we talk to lots of stakeholders about their involvement in standards because they can influence the world around them and, and shape their professional practice and shape the sectors in which they work. So I suppose, you know, provocatively, um, why not? Why isn't HSB, HSIB just part of our committee member structure? That's a that's a really good question. I think, you know, um, well, when you, when I look at HSIB, you know, they have they're, the people who are working on the investigations are not always medical professionals. They may not have a medical device background. They've got people coming in um, from aeronautics, from engineering, from um, automotives, from all different industries um, and working on these investigations. Uh, and, and the investigations are also not always health healthcare or medical device related. They're, it's about safety you know, uh, of people. Uh, with, with, uh, from many different um, situations, but I think what is important is that if they bring a different, the investigators bring a different perspective uh, to looking at what that issue is, and so being actively involved in all of the committees may not be ideal, but when there's an issue that comes up, I think it would be great to have HSIB as a as a, a uh, an observer or a, a guest speaker or to come in and be involved from the standards to present here is the issue and this is what they've found so then the the standards committee itself can can explore and look at it from uh, you know okay how can this be addressed more more globally if uh, what's what's the wider appeal to it or does this happen in you know, has this happened before in other in other jurisdictions or other countries, uh, and what solutions are out there? So I, it would be great if they were involved, but uh, it might be the 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 what they would be able to influence and the what they would be able to be provide may be very limited to a specific investigation rather than uh, a standard in a whole. So what you're describing there, uh, Lena, is uh, you sort of described a really interesting relationship with this particular stakeholder. You know, HSIB has a particular role within the NHS within England, um, and it's looking to to identify, look at solutions for, for sort of broad problems. And they've come coming to us as a standards body to say, how can you help us? I just wonder whether... Uh, within your work within the healthcare sector, in particular around medical devices, is this a unique relationship with the stakeholder that we have here? I, I I think it is. I think it is a very unique one because they have HSIB has identified um, these areas of concern or issues, and they're not pointing they're, they're not pointing blame or laying blame or or anything on on uh, any on any of the players uh, within the investigation. But they're bringing it to light so that uh, the the wider industry or the BSI or the healthcare can look at some broad solutions. So they're bringing these to us uh, to to look at, and I think that's really important as a standards organization, so that we can uh, l- look at the impact of of the standards work that we do. We're getting some external. Uh, feedback and, and, and evidence of, of where there's some maybe some gaps in, in the standards work uh, and, and then being able to address that proactively uh, within the standards before you know, typically these these investigations are not um, well I, they're varying degree I suppose of, of, of severity and concern but it's looking at it uh, while these incidents have already happened 
they're addressing it proactively to prevent them from 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 happening again, but also bringing in the right people so you can see what what the globe what the more more um, global issue is and how are we able to address that from a, a number of different perspectives. For BSI, it just happens to be with with the use of standards. But if you if they take it to NHS, it could be you know maybe there's there's an actual procedure uh, that they can do or or organization organizational uh, change that needs to be made. Uh, and I think the, the because HSIB is made up of a diverse number of investigators with lots of different backgrounds, they're able to look at the situations with a different set of eyes and and see through the some of those barriers that people who are close to the to the situation or, or close to the the standard or the the the, the device or the the problem itself. Um, they see it in a way that that we aren't able to see it, and and that really you know brings us um, it, it just brings in more opportunities for uh, a more holistic uh, solution. I think Susie described it as a their investigation as a why done it rather than a who done it, and I think you yeah. just sort of reinforced that there that yep. looking for <laughs> looking at a particular incident and then actually investigating that what it may have happened elsewhere in different trusts mm-hmm. or in diff- different hospitals or different different uh, service providers and then think okay what are the large scale solutions here of which standards are an important part they may be the only solution thought of or it could be sits alongside other policies and practices and regulations maybe to make sure that mm-hmm. uh, to as to as great a degree as possible these situations or, or or occurrences don't happen again would that be would that be a fair assessment I, I do think that is that is fair and it it's we have to think about this as like a, a big spider web right uh, you can't you don't have just one strand alone that that's going to to keep the ecosystem strong and it's going to be safe and effective. We have to have everything working together and and standards are just a part of it. Um, Regulations are another part, the medical device manufacturers and their, their requirements with the, the, the needs of a, of a, uh, the NHS, um, the, the healthcare institutions, or even the patients themselves, depending on what they, you know, if they've got specific uh, needs, whether they know about them or not, or uh, their own, uh, you know, their their own fears, their requirements, and it all creates this this web of of need, and and patient safety is is obviously at the at the center of that, and all these different bits um, affect that 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 core um, belief that or the core the 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 core um, goal of providing the best the the, the best care uh and patient safety as possible which you know sometimes it's not a hundred percent you know but that's what we can strive for but i like to look at it as as everybody's working together like creating that 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 web effect in order to to make the strongest um the strongest ecosystem possible I just wonder, um, Lena, as a, as a final thought, really, um, you described a, a really sort of a emerging and growing relationship with with HSIB in this particular issue around med- medical devices. I just wonder, you know, how important you know are medical device standards broadly? I mean, they they are, they're out there shaping and influencing uh, healthcare provision, but I just wonder how important they are standards are for this area of work. Oh, standards are, uh, yeah, well, being a standards professional, I guess, you know, and, and I, I love standards. I, I, I'm very passionate about the use of standards. Uh, and I think that they are, uh, 
in, integral to to patient safety, uh, whether it's it's well, to, to human safety, earth safety, everything. You know, so that we've got a core. Of, you know, the 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 standards set the minimum requirement for what's needed. So we know that we can always strive for better quality. We can strive for a, a safer device, but this is just the minimum based on the information, the technology, the testing that we have at the time that standard is written. So you have to think of, you know, when we talk about state of the art, for example, that is, you know, it, it's different for an engineer rather than a regulator because regulators are looking at it from what we already know and what's already approved. And we've got these big thinkers that are, are looking forward um, to state of the art as in the stuff that's that we're only starting to, to think of. And standards have to be used in a way that that does not inhibit that innovation, but is based on what we have already experienced and what we already know. So trying to kind of rein in those, those huge thinkers, right, and, and, and loosen the reins on the, 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 the people that are much more rigid in their thinking and don't maybe want to be innovative. And standards does helps by, by kind of level setting and saying, okay, this is this, these are the minimum requirements. These are the concerns. This is what we need to think about going forward. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this uh, areas one, some of the areas that we're going to see a lot more uh, development in standards going forward is going to be the world of artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, because that's that's going to have a huge impact on patient safety uh, and, and how devices are being, not only how they're being developed and designed, but how they're being implemented and used. Um, and then also sustainability, uh, because any changes that need to be made uh, to a device to in order to to he, help meet the sustainability goals and initiatives will have an impact on patient safety as well uh, because they'll require changes or modifications to uh, to the existing device or what we know is is a safe and effective device. So standards are are fundamental there. Uh, it's not it's not going to solve all the world's problems related to to patient safety, but it's helping kind of create that that fundamental platform for manufacturers, healthcare organizers, people to to work off of in order to build stronger and better systems. So my thanks to Susie Broadbent from the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch and Lena Cordy-Bancroft from BSI for talking to me for this episode of The Standard Show. To find out more about some of the issues we talked about, including the work of the HSIB and the relationship between healthcare, medical devices and standards then check out the links in the show notes you have been listening to an episode of the standard show with matthew childs and cindy parakill subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts you just heard a stripped media production 